Good evening. This is Dr. Dan Guerin. You're listening to Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. We're approaching the end of November, so the date has progressed since last time we spoke, and it is the 29th of November, 2023. This will be chapter number 13 in Bioportraits, uh, Biomedical Portrait 6 on NK cells. So that might mean we're going to finish today, or we might have one of those coda lectures. You never know. Time is always the final arbiter. And so, hopefully you've learned from these biomedical portraits that living systems are durable because of a complex biochemical foundation. Uh, and that foundation, as I hope you also understand, is quite flexible, functions attentively, and so it responds, and yet it is vulnerable. <clears throat> so an event ontology that is never the same as what life is, this due to, of course, aging, the environment, which is always possibilistic, aging itself is too. And then there's the immune surveillance system perpetually under attack and yet which functions specifically as in lymphocytes like T cells and B cells and generally like natural killer cells and uh, macrophages or neutrophils. And it does so with high maintenance and with pretty well-structured biological fidelity. <clears throat> now, I've always said that such a system will succeed until it is confronted with its temporal finality. So in other words, it'll work until it, well, doesn't work. And then it will be apprehended by natural senescence, necrosis, and death. And what we call disease is the natural arbiter of that conclusion where one's time to come cannot be bargained with. So back to senescence. <clears throat> senescence, where cell division essentially ceases, senescence which is linked to the temporal ontology of the living system and how that temporal signature is altered by stress phenomena <coughs> is probably a tumor suppressive mechanism because it permanently arrests cells that may be at risk for higher rates of malignant transformation, some of which may be, for example, nucleotide level mutations. However, current evidence shows that senescent cells can nevertheless provide quite robust pathological effects within their microenvironment. And the most significant of that affectation is the acquisition of the senescence-associated secretory phenotype, SASP. <coughs> and that system will turn senescent fibroblasts 
into pro-inflammatory cells that have the ability to do great damage to the system, including damage to healthy cells, but also can alter the genetic repertoire in such a way to promote oncogenesis and tumor progression. That's what I was leaving with you with last. So let's think about how this is playing out. Try to, try to set up kind of like a spatiotemporal, if you like, um, examination. So <clears throat> we're always going to have, the human body is going, is going to have intrinsic and extrinsic stress. And when we're talking about effects on cell division, we would call that a genotoxic event. And what that genotoxic event will do is damage the reception and then the transduction of that reception. And that damage can lead to a rapid movement towards either autophagy, which would allow for arrest of all the normal metabolic activity, and then some kind of true-to-cell phenotype repair system. Now, when that happens, that will block, at least temporarily, remember these are all temporal events, such things as cancer and whatever pathology may have been insipid because of that stress response. But that arrest will not block aging. Aging is already happening to each cell. And each cell has a certain limit after which it will not divide. So the only way that cells can be immortalized, such as in vitro, in cell culture, is to feed them hormones and certain permutations of nutritional requirements. And even then, those cells, take them out of the minus 80 freezer and you grow them and you do a phenotype of them and you use them for your research, for example, a common thing in a biochem laboratory. Those cells, even though they're kept at minus 80, um, in a cryoprotected system, nevertheless go through variation. An old colleague of mine, Bill Scowcroft, uh, was famous for coming up with the term somaclonal variation. So even though you would think that cells rapidly dividing, you, know, you keep them in culture, even when you keep them in culture, the daughter cells are not going to be identical to the parent cell. There are going to be epigenetic modifications, for sure, that may be carried over in the epigenome, methylome patterns, acetylone patterns. We talk about a great deal here in authentic biochemistry. But there are also any possibilities of alterations because of what I just explained to you. For example, just take the environment, even a very closed, protected environment, such as in a shaker culture in the lab. 
or in an incubator on a plate or in some other kind of growth chamber uh, system. All right? So those cells are not identical. They're changing because even though they've just recently divided, the entire culture is aging as well. Now, take that concept and consider all of the potential differentiation and development that's in the human body with the vast array and distinctive operation of cells, in particular tissues, in particular organ system carrying out specific functions. Or think about the immune cells that we talk a lot about and their constant circulation and surveillance and attentiveness, getting ready to, to go to war against an invading pathogen or protect perhaps an oncogenic event, or perhaps just a misdirection in uh, gene expression, right? altering anything that doesn't look right or normal for that system, altering it by, first of all, detecting whether or not it can um, simply arrest what's going on and repair it, like induce autophagy, or just kill it outright. Right? Now, when those damage sensors function, they also often work through checkpoint proteins. One of those checkpoint proteins that you hear a lot about is also known as a famous oncogene, P53. Now, P53 can stop cell cycle. <clears throat> and so P53 can cause not only the cell to not divide, it can also arrest furthering the senescence-associated secretory phenotype, which is occurring in all cells at variable rates depending on the last time they divided. And remember, the cells are counting those divisions biochemically. So even though the cell just divided an hour ago in culture, that cell comes from a culture that divided multiple times to get to that point. See? So this leads back to this uh, <laughs> overlooked uh, reality that life comes from life. Cells aren't just generated ex nihilo. So you require living systems, complex living systems, say cell culture for patocytes or stellate cells or neurons, right? And then think about them embedded in the tissue in the body, communicating with the entire system all the time throughout a person's life. All those cells are integrated into what's going on with all of the vagaries and signatures, biochemical signatures, that that entire system, that is the human body, the human person, has experienced throughout their life. And all of those alterations can lead to some epigenetic modifications which are inherited every time a cell divides or which are erased well before the cell ever goes through a division. And remember, some cells don't divide. They stay quiescent. That's why you have solid organ mass distinctions. I didn't say extinctions, distinctions, where the mass of the liver or the mass of the heart or the mass of the pancreas or the intestine 
or the brain doesn't change, doesn't increase because of cell division, right? So there are all kinds of limits, contact limits associated with adhesion molecules that prevent tissues or cellular masses to invade and then modify the system in such a way by altering its space and its time signatures. Right? So <clears throat> another thing that can happen, of course, is this SASP, the SASP. So SASP can function through inhibiting further senescent decay into necrosis. And early on in that cellular lineage temporality, it can turn on biochemical alarm signals, which will involve tissue repair. Now, often that tissue repair isn't really division and production of more of the cells that are supposed to be there, but often that repair will lead to simply production of fibrotic tissue. And the fibrotic tissue, the fibrocytes, are replacement cells, but they are not cells functioning as the cells in that organ are. So when you get fibrosis in the liver, which remember is prodromal for hepatocellular carcinoma, and associated with senescence, an alteration of that natural killer cell activity that we talked about last lecture, it doesn't mean that those uh, fibrocytes are functioning as hepatocytes. They're not. They do not have the same gene, gene expression pattern. In fact, what they're prone to do more often than not is just start an inflammasome-mediated response upon any stress. And so that's why you get this common um, pathophenotype called fibrosis, right? Which just simply means the inflammation of fibrocytes, right? <laughs> now, as the system ages, chronic SAS will actually lead to persistent inflammation because of the secretory phenotype of that senescence response. So think about DNA damaging. DNA damaged signaling pathways because of a genotoxic stress will lead to the activation of the P53 tumor suppressor gene. So activated P53 functions in multiple levels, but essentially it triggers cell fate, the decisions thereof. What are some cell fate decisions? Well, quiescence, senescence, autophagy, apoptosis. How about those? Or how about proliferation? So depending on the context of the cell, which is measured by contact sites and therefore those adhesion molecules, constantly interacting with cell surface of other cells and the fluid that's bathing those cells in that system. P53 can suppress cancer through a transient and immediate <coughs> cell cycle arrest. <coughs> and then what will be activated is DNA repair. Now, besides that, P53 will strain even the senescence-associated secretary phenotype. Because that, that sec secretion part of that phenotype can itself lead to damage to otherwise healthy cells. They may still be senescent cells, but they're healthy. 
because of, because the secretion of pro-inflammatory polypeptides or lipids will certainly not go unnoticed by those senescent cells. They may then be activated to be pro-inflammatory themselves, or at least go through inflammation. So the fact that SASP is even regulated by 353 suggests there is some kind of cell non-autonomous function of tumor suppression. So that surveillance is always there. It's essentially a paranoid surveillance system to stop cell division at all costs. Rather kill the cell than let it divide if damage signals from stress induction are being mitigated through, for example, the innate immune system by the production of chemokine, gradients, and pro-inflammatory, or at least regulatory inflammatory cytokines. Okay. So in the short term, SASP itself can promote tissue repair, but in the long run, SASP will lead to chronic inflammation. And when I say long run, I'm talking about as one ages, because all of your cells will essentially finally senesce. Okay. And when that happens, and the body is still functioning normally, what you can get when you're promoting a lot of chronic inflammation from a secretory phenotype of senescence, that can drive cancer, and it can promote even more levels of morbidity and, and uh, hasten mortality. By perhaps changing the temporal signature of aging itself, that's why obesity is a, a problem with what appears to be an enhancement of the aging turnover. It seems to ramp up aging. Now, cellular senescence, of course, entails what would normally be considered an irreversible arrest of proliferation. So that's normal function, right? Like I just said. And what cells are not allowed to proliferate are those that are deemed damaged by the immune response or maybe even stress cells because stress cells may be at high risk for an oncogenic malignant transformative event. Okay, let me check my time here. I know I've been talking a lot. That's, you know, that's what lectures are. They're a lot of talking, right? <laughs> oh, I've got plenty of time. Um, it, it's a way I've amused myself by considering the fact that all I'm doing is talking. Now, <clears throat> two main pathways are used to establish and maintain growth rest, which is what senescence is by definition since restrictive. And that's why it's considered a very potent anti-cancer means to an end, a transcendental, you might want to call it. Now, we talked about P53. P53 is this tumor suppressor. And also, how does it function in terms of biochemical mechanism? Well, it's a transcriptional regulator. And it works with other proteins, as you know, hopefully, from lectures you've heard me 
go through the whole cell cycle and all of the oncogenes, series of lectures I've done, all within the last six months, I know. So what are the other genes? P21, that's a cyclin-dependent kinase, or a CDK, and that's also another cell cycle potential inhibitor. The other components of the pathway are being regulated by the P16INK4A. I call that INK4A because that's how it's spelled. Now, what is that protein doing? That's a tumor suppressor and a CDK cell cycle inhibitor. And then there's yet another protein. These are all the canonical ones. PRB, that's a tumor suppressor. That RB stands for retinoblastoma, by the way. And it's, of course, also another transcriptional regulator. So there are all kinds of stress stimuli that will trigger that cascade of polypeptide transcription, translation, activation, utilization of the cell. Some of the important stimulus for senescence will include this temporal signature, uh, which was first described by a researcher named Hayflick. So it was back in the day, and when I was in graduate school, called the Hayflick limit. How many times does mammalian cell divide as measured in cell culture? Maybe 26, seven, 26 times, maybe 27 times for mammalian cell, but that's really out the farther reaches. After that, that's not at all. So you'll get this replicative senescence, and that's a result of one of the things I'm sure you've heard of too, telomere shortening. So replicative exhaustion can be the result of, okay, so telomere attrition. So that means that senescence is a function of telomere attrition, okay? You also get DNA damage outright. DNA damage can occur just by the DNA itself replicating because there isn't 100% fidelity every time a DNA entire genome is replicated for cell division. There's always a potential for a missense mutation, for example, or even a nonsense mutation, or simply some kind of nucle single nucleotide polymorphism, which will corrupt what? The sequence. And if it corrupts the sequence, it's not in an intron, then the entire protein that would eventually be made after transcription and translation would be rubbish. So that has to be stopped. The whole cell has to be stopped. Right? So <clears throat> cells can go through this DNA damage from just simply aging, but also from any kind of genotoxic event, which can be alterations, for example, in nutrition. Or here's one of my favorites, not favorite, the ingestion of ethanol. Ethanol is a genotoxin amongst many other patho pathological attributes, such as the corruption of membrane fluidity. Okay. So 
ionizing radiation, of course, non-ionizing radiation, heat, heat, okay? Chemotherapeutic drugs will cause a great deal of DNA damage. So doxorubicin, bleomycin, platinum-based drugs. How about immunotherapeutics? Absolutely can cause DNA damage. Because immunotherapeutics that may enhance the, the longevity of T cells by blocking program death or the CTL4 could well be maintaining a T cell population or B cell to plasma cell population that have already been driven into some level of alteration of metabolism, which is inappropriate. And so those cells may be trying to go into cell cycle arrest, but they'll be constantly activated by the, <laughs> if you want to consider it, the solution chemistry of the bathing buffer, which could be loaded with pro-inflammatory cytokines, chemokines, growth factors, and alteration of the matrix, biomatrix metalloproteases. Also things like nucleotides and lipids simply in in uh, contact with cells can cause these alterations and activation. Okay? So immunotherapeutics are not benign in that regard. They cause, they have been shown to cause a great deal of DNA damage. What happens when you get DNA damage that's not repaired? A mutation. Can a muta do all mutations lead to cancers? No. But if you're going to get a cancer from a mutation, that's where it's going to start. You see? So anyway, senescence can be the anti-tumor means to an end. You get an activation of oncogenes that are not the ones we talked about, but oncogenes like RAS and BRAF, which we have talked about. Now those lead to oncogene-induced senescence. Yes. So once those genes are expressed like RAS or BRAF, high enough, number to be able to measure by the apparatus that detects protein-protein contact or protein-lipid contact or protein turnover within a transmembrane domain, that will be sufficient for the cell to recognize those oncogenes are being generated. And that can drive the cell into immediate what's called oncogene-induced senescence or OIS. Now, the mitochondrial function also, because it's directly linked to apoptosis, and you know the mitochondria has its own genome, and the mitochondrial genome and the nuclear genome are constantly in crosstalk because both genomes are needed to replicate. And you know the mitochondrial genome can actually replicate autonomously from the nuclear genome. Why do we know that? Well, there are more than one mitochondria in any given cell. And what other organelle did I tell you can also replicate autonomously in association with mitochondria? Who are the best A students? A students, not many, right? That would be the peroxisome, also autonomously replicates. Think what the peroxisome is up to, right? Part of what is up to <laughs> is an endogenous immune response because of the production of hydrogen peroxide. That's correct. So the mitochondrial dysfunction-associated senescence, <clears throat> which will lead to cell cycle arrest, is called the Midas arrest. 
<coughs> mitochondrial dysfunction associated senescence. You also get overall reactive oxygen stress, which will shut down cell cycle. And then there's, if there's any alteration in the epigenetic uh, authorship, such as an alteration in DNA methylation, alteration in histone lysine acetylation, can also immediately drive the cell into a senescent arrest because you're changing gene expression, fundamentally changing gene expression. Remember, epigenetic changes are here and now rapid alteration. They're superseding all the beautiful um, symphonic movement of transcription factors to arrive at a specific section of DNA, a response element in the promoter region or enhancer region of specific genes to turn them on, right? That's a very orchestrated symphonic interaction where epigenetics methyl methylases will come in or acetylases will come in they're usually associated with transcriptional machinery anyway and just start laying down methyl groups bulky hydrophobic methyl groups or laying down hydrophilic acetyl acetyl groups on histones changing everything changing all kinds of patterns and not just dna replication but gene expression right transcription rates that's right looping the histones around, all the stuff I talk about. I talked about in previous biomedical portraits, even rather recently. All right, so I'm going to stop there. <clears throat> we didn't talk specifically about natural killer cells, but I wanted to give you that as a prolegomena for the next couple of lectures we have for in cases, then we'll be finished. Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast, 29 November 2023. Bye for now.